Lord God, Heavenly Father, you are enthroned in heavenly splendor. You rule over all things, but uh, most especially your church, where you rule in tenderness and mercy, uh, as you have revealed to, your, to us, uh, yourself and your son Jesus, as the Good Shepherd. Uh, may he guide us and lead us through this uh, wilderness of sin into the eternal life and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're on the uh, second sheet. Again, no page numbers, so just go to the back page of the front. Uh, we got, I don't know, I always try to like move things along, but then I go back and look at the text. I'm like, hey, we didn't talk about part of it. But that's the problem with the scripture, problem, quote unquote, not really a problem, uh, is that it's, it's kind of an exa- inexhaustible, right? I mean, you can, you can study, you can study, you can always uncover or uh, recover all sorts of things. So every time, uh, that happens with preaching, right? Every time you hear the Good Shepherd Sunday, you probably hear a different aspect of that because the gospel text alone is rich and then you have the epistle and the, and the Old Testament reading as well. So um, I did want to highlight a couple things that was by way of introduction that we didn't talk about going backward a little bit. So let's see, one, two, three, fourth reading down. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, the oldest passed away, behold, the newest come. We talked about that. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself. We talked about what reconciliation was. Making amends is how we use it in an earthly sense, but um, it's another justification where we're made right with God, right? The things that would, that which would separate us from God, that is sin, has been taken away in Christ. And then... He gave us, pastors, the ministry of reconciliation. So that's our job, is to serve, dish out, if you like, reconciliation. Um, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself in this way, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of re- reconciliation. Therefore, we are, and this is one of the things I wanted to highlight, because I don't know if we talked about it, ambassadors for Christ. What is, what is that word ambassador? Uh, yeah. What do you say? Emissary? What was the first word? Messenger. Yeah, messenger or emissary. And I know I looked this one up. Uh, let's see. Da, 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 da. We are ambassadors, right? Uh, so it's actually, uh, it's the same word as elder. Presbytery. Right? So... Um, yeah, so it can mean elder but it, or eldest or foremost but it can also mean as one who goes to negotiate on behalf of someone else um, or to be to be an ambassador to speak on behalf of someone else but there's actually another meaning uh, in the ancient Greek world that says to negotiate peace so the ambassador is kind of like the guy who comes with the white flag right mm-hmm. well I, that's a sign of peace or it could be a sign of surrender I suppose Unless, yeah, it depends if you're French. That's nice. <laughs> come with, uh, well, you come with a, not a palm branch. Oh, olive leaf, right? From the whole uh, Moses story. Not Moses, Noah, sorry. Noah's story. So ambassadors, and, and here's how the messenger of God, the pastor, is the ambassador for Christ. God making his appeal um, through us. And then he gives you kind of the language. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So that's, a, that's, the, that's the message of the ambassador. Be reconciled to God. Now, 
If you're reconciled in Christ, then can you reconcile yourself to God? Who's doing the work? Christ is doing the work. He's the subject of the sentence. He's the one doing the reconciling, right? As we've already established. So to be reconciled, I think Eric brought this up in another one of the readings, is a passive word. It's be who Christ has made you, if you like. You want to say it that way. He's reconciled you. Just be reconciled. So we might put it in terms of this, uh, like the um, formula of Concord talks about original sin. Or Augsburg does too. In that, what do we contribute to our salvation? Nothing. Actually, we do contribute something. Resistance, um, rejection, you know, those things. Sin. Yeah, we contribute the sin. That, uh, sorry, yeah, we don't contribute anything helpful, we'd say, or useful. Yeah, more sheets here if you need them. Be reconciled. So, um, be who you are is maybe another way to say that, or be, be the one whom Christ has died for. Don't resist. You might say it that way. It's a gift. It's for you. For he made him, he, I would say God the Father, made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. So last week we talked about this, right? The blessed exchange or the sweet, swap. The sweet, sweet salvation swap, as uh, Brent Kuhlman says. Do you know Brent Kuhlman? No, he's out in uh, Murdoch, Nebraska, Podunkville. But... Uh, yeah, that's what he called it. He had a whole sermon series, the Sweet Salvation Swap. And every week he talked about this idea of exchange. I listened to him for his uh, Advent midweek this year. Or no, Lent midweek. But in any case, yes, he who knew no sin, and what does it mean to know sin? It's, go ahead, to know sin, to participate in. Yeah, it's more, it's the Bible knowing with yeah, it's like you know your, your wife, right? You, you know each other, not just you know your name and you know things about each other, but you know everything about each other, physically, spiritually, the whole deal, right? Because you're one flesh. So that's what Jesus becomes. Ooh. He who knew no sin, he did, had no relationship to sin at all. Um, what does it say? To, how does your translation say it? For he... To, yeah, to be sin, and the word there is, you know, to, to make or to, I mean, it becomes your identity. So you see Jesus Christ crucified, and you see sin. And salvation, right? That we, so in exchange, might, and the word there, might, is not so helpful. It's in order that we, it's uh, era subjunctive, so that's why we put might in there. But does anybody know what subjunctive voice does? Have you ever heard that word? Do we have any teachers that know grammar? Grammar, subjunctive voice. Like Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Coulda, yeah. And it just doesn't come off in English. It sounds like, like there's a possibility that you become the righteousness of God. Uh, but it, it's more, it, it's connected to that passive idea that you receive this, the righteousness of God. In him, which is very important at the end. All right, so that's, that's that whole exchange language. I thought we should re- re-emphasize that, especially with the ambassador idea. One who comes bringing peace, God making his appeal through his, his preachers. So that means that when the pastor speaks, sometimes uh, we speak first person, I, although I try not to use first person singular, I. <laughs> I don't really want to talk about myself. 
I know some pastors like to tell stories about themselves. Um, but then uh, my pastor growing up, you know, we were on the three-year election area. I remember this. So every three years, I'd hear the same stories about himself because <laughs> the same text would come around. And I don't know if he went back and looked or not, but be like, I've heard this sermon before because I remember the story, even though I didn't remember the rest of the sermon. So yeah, don't, that's not helpful. But we do sometimes talk we, first person plural. Sorry, Lutherans are grammatical people, so you just have to, we, we care about words and what they mean. So parts of speech matter. Anyway, we, plural. But more often than not, we do what's called second order discourse or second person, you. You singular, if I'm speaking to you privately, but you plural, y'all, um, second. And that comes off sounding a little harsh sometimes, right? Like you, you are a sinner. Like, really, me? Where's the law? Yeah, you. Well, and that's the law. It needs to speak directly. You know, it can't just be, we are sinners. I mean, which is still true, and it shows solidarity between the preacher and the congregation. But I'm sent to actually say, you are a sinner, and, but more importantly, you are forgiven in Christ. So actually, the gospel's sweeter if it's you than, oh, we're forgiven. That's also kind of softer, disconnected, maybe. In this case, it's the imperial we. Imperial we. Oh, like I'm the king? We means I. Oh, means the, the royal we. We means yes. Yeah. We are not pleased. <laughs> <laughs> we are, yeah, we are not amused. Uh, that's fun. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason why we do that, because we want you to both know who Christ is, why he um, takes sin upon himself. It's for you, you personally, and you collectively, congregation. Um, but that he died for you all and forgive you individually and plural, you know, all of you together collectively. So it has a, that second person language can be a little, can be a little off-putting if you're not used to hearing preaching this way. This was brought to my attention by President Matthew Harrison maybe the year after he was elected. He started talking about preaching. Um, and he brought out that we weren't really using second, a lot of, I mean, we weren't trained even to use second person discourse. But then that has that whole... If, you're here as, if I'm here as an ambassador to you to speak on behalf of Christ, then Christ is going to say you. Uh, probably the most profound place that you've experienced this recently were in the reproaches on Good Friday. Who were here on Good Friday? What have you done to me, oh my people? Right? What have you done to me? So it was personal. <laughs> he made, Christ made it very personal. And that's a little artistic license with the original text from Mike or, or Zephaniah. But it's profound, isn't it? How personal than the whole Good Friday um, story is. It's your story. Okay. Sorry, tangent. Next text, I think we started this one too. We started it, right? I charge you, and we said this was like a graduation charge, right? Like you graduates, I charge you to do this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. And then we talked about these words. And I think it was Adam, was it Adam, that kind of saw uh, a logic to this? Oh, the next part, actually. So preach the word. That, that's every, every time we gather. Oh, this word, be ready in season and out of season. I know we talked about that a little, way, a little bit, um, but the Greek actually is a little bit more profound there. Uh, that is in verse what? Uh, you don't know. Four verse something, right? Um, it's 
It's in good, it's actually in good things and in bad things, if you want to put it that way, or in good times and in bad times, which made me think of uh, the wedding vows, right? Yeah, in, in season and out of season. Sounds, it's, that's a little bit kinder, I think, than, than the idea. It's like, yeah, when things get kind of rough as well as when they're good, you preach the word. And that's hard to do, uh, practically speaking, because nobody wants to hear the word uh, when it's when they need to. <laughs> they don't mind it when it doesn't when it's not that personal. There it is in you you kairos and a kairos. You kairos is like good. You is like what do we have in English equivalent? You prefix euphemism euphemism. euphemism. Euphoria. Euphoria, that's a better one. That's good. Euphoria, whatever euphoria is. Feelings or something. Good feelings. So you know the word kairos? Do you know that word kairos? It's like time. Yeah, there's different words for time in the Bible. There's chronos, New Testament I should say. There's chronos, which sounds like chronology, chronograph. Right? And Kronos has to do with tick-tock, 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 right? Uh, Kairos has to do with, Jesus, it, Jesus would use that word like when he says, my time has not yet come. Is he thinking tick-tock, tick-tock? No, he's, because then at, at one specific time he says, now the hour has come. Now is the time for salvation, right? When, when was that? Yeah, it was the night he was betrayed. That's right, Monday, Thursday. We heard it in that context, I think. I don't ever remember. My uh, last parish, I actually, we would read the whole Passion from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every, every Holy Week. Um, whereas, if you just follow the election and you don't have midday services, throughout, or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday services, you only hear Matthew and most of John. But you don't hear Mark and Luke. So I can't remember which one uh, has that. But I, I know it's John. I just don't remember if it's the part we read. But Jesus, it's, my time is not yet come, my time is not yet come, and then his time comes. And it's not as if it's TikTok, it's that time and sense of the moment. Right? So here we're not talking about, we are talking about like what we would call good times, right? It's good times. Do we mean we have a start and a finish yeah. date? Yeah, the golden age. Back when things were yeah, good times, and also bad times when things are difficult which might be a day, it might be a week, it might be months, it might be years, it might be a lifetime, right? And then those things pass and there's good times. So that, that's what that means in season and out of season. We need God's word both times, all times. Uh, so I wanted to draw that to your attention. And then it was Adam who pointed this out, and I think he's right. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort is kind of a, almost a process or a procedure. So reprove is the word for, another word would be, to reprove someone is to, yeah, so, so to correct, maybe we might, no, nah, correct isn't the right word. It, it, no, it's really, it's, yeah, it's really more open up and show. Um, so it'd be like, in like cross-examination if you're a lawyer, or to confute, it's to present the evidence, right? So you'd say it that way. To reprove, you could say convince, I think is another good translation of that. So convince, so show the evidence. Rebuke, that is show, using the evidence, point out the error, right, for correction's sake. And then exhort. Exhort is 
to say highly encouraged. Yeah, highly encouraged. That's right. Yeah. So so here's the here's here's the evidence. Here's your error individually, and then and the word for exhort is parakleo. Now you know that word. We hear that word in church. It's kind of like during the Easter season, you keep hearing about the Paschal uh, lamb. You're like, what's a, what's a Paschal lamb? Right? What's the difference between a Paschal lamb and an Easter lamb or a Good Shepherd lamb or whatever? What is Pascha? Pas- Paschal lamb? Passion. It's, it's, the Greek, it's the Greek word for the Passover. Right? So our Passover lamb. But we use this Greek word because we want to sound highfalutin and special. Right? <laughs> Or confusing. But our Paschal lamb means our Passover lamb. Christ is our Passover lamb. In Christ, death has been passed over, right, for us. Yeah. So, so we have to define these things sometimes. Here's another one that we don't often define is the paraclete. Ah, have you heard that word? Now, who's the paraclete? Not the parakeet. Make sure you correct your children. That's, that's what, a football player? Pair of cleats, yeah, nice. <laughs> that's right. Pair of cleats. Who is it? Somebody said it. Yeah, Holy Spirit. So you'll hear that um, uh, Pentecost, right? How he's our paraclete. Actually, I think it's the week before Pentecost. Because we get three weeks in a row on the Holy Spirit. The week before, ascension, after, and then, yeah. Um, paraclete is advocate, okay? So to exhort is to parakleo, and see the word doesn't, it's not the same, but it's, it's to do what, a, what an advocate or a comforter would do, which is counsel. to counsel, but, it, but it, has, it has in the sense of, in the same way the Holy Spirit does, was how does the Holy Spirit counsel you or comfort you? With the knowledge of your sin? Well, he does convict the world of sin, Jesus says. He sets you with peace because you have been forgiven. Right. Yeah, he leads you to Christ. He reminds you every day your bill is already Right. So that's the Spirit's job. He's the Spirit of the Father and the Son, and he always leads, leads his job is to lead you to the Son. Uh, or as Dr. Nagel said, um, says, um, although he doesn't talk too much right now anymore, because um, he had a stroke. He's in a nursing home. But um, he said that the uh, the the Holy Spirit. I'm trying to find the right word. He's the uh, he's the bashful member of the Holy Trinity. That's it. He's the bashful one because he's always in the behind the scenes, leading you to the. Fa- he's always pointing to the Father and the Son. In the way of, maybe in the way of John the Baptist, right? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I must decrease that, that he would increase. So the Spirit's behind the scenes doing the job, advocating, comforting, directing encouraging, cheering up, if you like. That is always pointing you to the forgiveness of sins. That's what's here. It's the same word. So show the evidence, demonstrate the error, and then, cor- then exhort, correct, in the way of absolution, forgiveness. Follow that? I thought that was kind of helpful. Adam pointed out that you had the three parts, and I, then I kind of dug into it a little bit more, and you're right. With complete patience and teaching, right? So good there. Oh, and then this is where we left off. For the time is coming, or is now, (laughs) we might say, when people will not endure sound teaching. Uh, What do we mean by sound teaching? What is that? Correct doctrine. Yeah, correct doctrine. 
the word is uh, to be to be sound is to be of good health. Might be another way. That's a, that's actually yeah. Teaching, teaching is couched in the word, the gospel. Right, but unfortunately, if you give up teaching that's healthy, we'll put it that way, or of sound of mind, then what happens? It's not helpful, right? Because it won't be of God. So they will not endure. That's funny. I mean, do you have to be patient with sound, sound teaching? I guess you do. You end up with the Jonestown disaster. And the oh, yeah. Disaster. That's sound teaching on a And it, here again, it's Kairos, by the way. So it's that time. It's a season. So a season is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having an itching ears ticklish ears yeah so you get 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 all the little hair follicles moving in your ear what's another way scratch and itch is that another expression we have somebody so and so scratch scratches an itch or something scratches my itch yeah Uh uh-huh yeah he already is yeah but he's probably early 20s Yeah. Every pastor can tell you there is a honeymoon period, and it's maybe like marriage. <laughs> We're talking to Kathy about that, and then uh, then things get real, you know, and stuff comes out up to the surface, and uh, you find out um, what actually needs to be uh, addressed with God's word. Yeah, you're right. So he's. It's kind of like pastors. Somebody says they want to go to seminary, and most pastors' probably first response is, don't do it. <laughs> and, and that's probably for that reason, is just to say, okay, don't do this if you think glory, fame, um, comfortable way of life. Uh, I don't know. What are, what are some reasons? Grand and glorious visions of, of magnificent congregations, or whatever it is. Potlucks. Pot, yeah, potlucks that you, like you've never seen before. I mean, I'm sure there's congregations that are like that on the surface anyway. Uh, and maybe you are too, actually. I think about that. But, um, you know, but there, there's always people are itching for something else, some other voice other than the shepherd, if you want to connect it to the sermon. And so then um, the translation here says they will accumulate for themselves. And the word there is they'll heap up, like pile up. So I, how many of you are like, Aspiring entrepreneurs, like you have like side business. Uh, you have you have aspiring businessmen, right? Yeah. And there's a the, the entrepreneurial like world today, especially. I think this is only on the last maybe five seven years. It's like you have to name off all of your like mentors and all the books you've read and pile up all these people who've taught you what you know about being an entrepreneur. So maybe it's Tony Robbins or it's Gary Vaynerchuk or it's I don't know who who else. Are these guys. Um, What's that? Chris Farley? <laughs> okay. Um, and, and in days past, it would have been the self-help gurus, right? Like uh, Norman Vincent Peale or uh, Andrew Carnegie or Carnegie or however you want to say it, depending on who you ask. What's that? What color is your parachute? I, okay, explain. 
the, the books of the day and the, the yeah. initials of the day, whether you're ASTIC or EMT or TQF. I don't even know this stuff. Okay. Yeah. So every generation has them. Okay. So today it's one particular group of people, but whatever. And so what, this is exactly what happens. It ends up being a religion for the entrepreneur. Like this is like day in, day out. They listen to these guys on the radio or on, on podcasts. They don't listen to radio. Millennials. You listen to podcasts and you read the books and you go to the seminars and you pile up all of these teachers and pull from all of them all these things, all these helpful hints and tidbits and whatever. I'm speaking as one who does this. Anyway, it's, you just pile them all up and then that's... But you only listen to the ones who actually kind of scratch your itch, right? Yeah, that seem to fit you. The ones who come along who like might challenge you, eh, you know, you know, it, maybe, or maybe you're maybe you're a masochist and you like being challenged, and beat up every day. So, so that's a corollary in the, in the in the world, and people do this with the church too. So, like you know, uh, one of the most remarkable times I visited a homebound person who just was resistant to coming me coming over. Which didn't make any sense to me. It's like, look, I'm your pastor. Come over. I'll speak God's word to you. We'll have the Lord's Supper. Um, your sins are forgiven. Um, you can be at peace. And, and she'd be like, no, no, no. You don't need to come over. You don't come over. Finally, finally, I get to come over. And I'm like, so what do you do for like devotional life? Because, you know, I haven't been here in a while. So what do you, do you read the Bible? Or whatever. She's like, no, I watch the guys on TV. I watch Joel Osteen. And I'm like, no, what, what do they talk about? Now, no criticism of Joel as an individual, um, but I said, what was his message? What did he preach? What was, the, what was the message on Sunday? And she's like, well, if you try harder, you can be a better person. I'm like, well, is that a Christian message? I mean, in, in some limited way, that's actually true, right? Like, you can be a better neighbor or a better husband or wife if you try. <laughs> All right. But it doesn't save you, right? It's not, we're not talking about salvation. It's not doing what Christ does. And, uh, but for her, it was just find people that would just encourage me, but not really with distinction as to what's true, what's sound, what's healthy, what's good for me. Um, so, so Paul's, you're right, Paul's talking to Timothy to say, there are going to be people like this who accumulate, pile up for themselves teachers, so that they go to whatever church they want to go to. Maybe they go to multiple churches. Maybe they... They listen to Buddhist teachers because, or they listen to Taoists, you know, because they're into Zen or whatever it is, right? And they put it all together and they're like, I'm a Christian Buddhist, which, believe it or not, somebody has said to me. Um, you're like, well, you know that those things aren't entirely compatible with each other. There's some things that the Buddha and Jesus probably agree on, love your neighbor. Um, the other things that they don't agree on, like escape pain and suffering would be the Buddha, and Jesus is like embrace pain and suffering, bear your cross. <laughs> Those are kind of like complete opposites, right? Uh, but people do this, uh, even in our own day. And the problem is, is that the pastor alone can't actually fix this. So I can come along and say, stop listening, stop watching Joel Osteen because he's bad for you. I might say it with more patience and teaching, <laughs> God willing, right? Like tell me what tell me what he said. Let's talk about his sermon, you know that kind of thing, or let's watch it and let's talk about it. Watch a rerun, tape it so we can watch it, um, which takes a lot of patience, by the way, to watch that hour. But on the other hand, uh, it's also true that each of you individually 
bear that same responsibility to examine the teaching of the one whom you listen to, the preacher. Uh, Because believe it or not, pastors can make mistakes. I know. know. Uh, Sometimes say things, maybe just not say things well, or um, not present things in a clear fashion. Um, Sometimes just say flat out, just an error, right? And require, that's why I like Bible class, because it's back and forth, right? And you can tell me, yeah, pastor, I don't agree with you. I'm like, oh, help me out here. Let's figure out, let's see, do we need to meet in the middle? Am I wrong? You're right, whatever. Let's figure that out. So that's part of your job too, as Christians. Now, how can you examine whether the teacher has sound teaching? Yeah, using the Bible. Um, And as Lutherans, you have even more resources than that. The Bible's sufficient in and of itself, but then you have other documents that can help you even more clearly. What? Yeah, I heard Book of Concord, right? And within that specifically, small catechism, large catechism. Yeah. Um, All the confessions, even the creed is a way to say, is that what the pastor said? Did he preach one holy Christian apostolic church today or did he preach everybody can have their own church and it'll all be just fine, right? So you can use the creed then examine the words that you hear. Adam? Since we were talking about grammar, Ah. um, in this whole thing, there's actually only two sentences. uh, (laughs) In English, yeah. Compound and complex and then another compound and complex. And he's setting up a dichotomy. In the first one, he says, this is what you should do in no matter what era it is. And then in the second sentence, he's saying there's going to be another era when this is going to happen. Yep. So he's telling you, if you go back to the first sentence, how to examine whether that's what's going on. If someone's just preaching therapeutic deism or whatever, he's yeah. not doing what's in the first sentence. God loves you and he wants you to be happy. That's therapeutic deism, by the way. Uh, which is kind of the, that's the generic religion of our day. There's a God, he loves you, and he wants you to be happy. Okay. Which I guess makes you feel better. So Adam's point was, um, look at the conjunctions, really, I think. For, so that, um, the word there for for, a time is coming, right? Uh, Oh, no, there's no conjunction there, actually. Uh, Oh, no, there it is, estai, which is uh, gar, gar estai. So for because, because the time is coming. So there's a big conjunction there. And then there's that big but. (laughs) You see the big but? Sorry, that's a joke. Time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but, but. Sometimes, what what does the word but do grammatically? Grammatically, you notice how I emphasize that. It undermines everything that came before. So, So it's kind of like, this is how I experience it. Pastor, that was a great sermon, but. You're like, okay. So it wasn't a great sermon. What, what was the issue? Right? That kind of, you see how it just kind of, it's like, what is that, damning with faint praise, I guess? Yeah, that's how we say that. So, but, so everything that came before, all that re- complete patience and teaching is undermined by people having itching ears, tick, ticklish ears, um, that they will accumulate, pile up for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions um, and passions that's not a word we use very often is it what do we mean by passions yeah 
Yeah, it can be love, can be desires. And what's interesting, and we'll turn away from listening to the truth, right? Yeah, according to their own desires is the word. And I ah, just, that is an uh, epithumized desires. Those past longing after the things that you hope for. Maybe that's the way to say it. Yeah, but it's this desire, this longing, this intense need. Uh, And that's not just personal. That can be um, for your family. It can be for your church. Um, Desires and passions. Uh, By the way, passions aren't wrong in and of themselves. They can be from God. I mean, even anger. Notice how Jesus says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He doesn't say don't be, well, he says, be angry, but don't sin. (laughs) Good luck with that. But, But the point is, is, like, anger is a passion, right? It, because it shows you something that... You're angry because something you care about has been lost or hurt or broken or damaged, right? It's actually... Anger shows you what you care about. If you're angry about something, it means you care about it. Whatever. Does that follow? So how do you, how do you be angry without sinning? Well, to sin is to be angry and then to, to lash out, to be vicious, to break the one who's sinned against you, whatever it is, right? It's to use that to sin... Um, Jesus says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. So your anger is like, I care about this, which means like if somebody has sinned against me and I'm angry about that, then I would go to them and say, why'd you do this to me? Right? Please, you know, I forgive you. Right? That's a great way to go down. Let the sun go down on your anger is actually to just forgive it. It's like uh, water on, not water. It'd be like fire extinguisher on fire. I guess you can't put water on a fire anymore. You have to use this foam stuff. Uh, grease fire, electrical fire. Yeah, a regular wood fire. You put wood on or you put water on it. It doesn't mean you don't care about it, but you don't have the anger. You still are passionate about it. So that's just a, by way of example. The problem here is that they, the passions that these people have are their own passions. So the things that they care about, actually they're not supposed to care about. Jesus tells you the things that you should care about. You know, God, family, neighbor, church, um, being a good citizen, um, love, kindness, peace, patience, all of those things. Um, even your Syrian brothers and sisters. I don't know what's going on over there. That's crazy. Uh, surprise! Hey, we bombed Syria today. Okay. That's the news cycle for you, I guess, is really what it was about, right? Because it was only a week before that there had been the chemical weapons attack there. Like, that didn't even, yeah, if you believe that, but it didn't even last. It. I mean, that wasn't even in the news, but a day, if even that. So, um, But the point here is that what do you care about? And they, they care about things that are their own and not actually the things of God. Thus, they will turn away. So... Um, the word for repentance, do you know the word for repentance in Greek? Do you know metanoia? Have you heard that before? Okay, meta, you know meta is to change, okay? And, sorry, and noia is mind. All right, so the word for, that's usually used for repentance is to, to change your mind. Uh, as but it really has this sense, that's the literal meaning, it really has this sense, is that here's God, here's you, and repentance is you turning back to God, to face him. 
which we get that language, you know, let your face shine upon us or lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace at the end. You, you want to see God face to face because that means what is gone? Sin, right. Because if he looks at you and he sees the sinner, what happens? Yeah, wrath, punishment, destruction. Uh, but you can look at him in Christ, right? That's actually God sees you in his son because you've been joined to him as one body, etc. Uh, the word here for turn away, it has, has this sense, uh, away from God, but actually this way. <laughs> Can you see that? Turning away from God and turning back in on oneself. Luther describes this, um, what does he say? Incurvatus say, right, in Latin, which means to be turned inward on oneself. Selfish, we would say, but it's bigger than just being like, oh, I have to have everything and I have to have it now. Um, but it's to only consider one's own desires, one's needs, and say, what I, what I want is what matters. What I care about is what's really true. And everybody has this, because it's the sinful nature. Pastors say, this is what has to be, and sometimes it's just like, this is what I want, and I haven't really, it's not necessarily what needs to be, right? Especially with practical matters. Um, individual Christians will say the same thing in the church, they'll say things at home. So here is to turn away from God in his word, we put his word here, Christ, and turn in on oneself. To turn away from listening to the truth, listening to Christ, listening through his word, and <laughs> wander off into myth. Yeah, I was glad that they, this translation that they used chose myth, because that's, that's a literal translation. Sometimes people said fables, which I think is fun too. Although Luther had a high esteem for, um, who was the fable guy? Aesop? Yeah, he thought Aesop was actually, as far as a pagan goes, um, pretty virtuous. You know, he can teach you a lot how to relate to your neighbor. We're reading Aesop. It doesn't teach you anything about faith, but teaches you about um, how to love your neighbor. Um, so turn away from Christ, turn to, off to myths. Which, where do myths come from? We make up myths. Myths are fun. Any of you storytellers, imaginary types? Yes. Visionaries. We had a visionary. Who, oh, she's not here. I was talking to a visionary before. <laughs> Bonnie. Bonnie. Yeah, Bonnie's a visionary. Right? So there's a way that visions can kind of drive everything. I have a vision for this congregation, you know? Have you met visionary pastors? Yeah. I have a vision for it. It's like you know, faithful to Christ, <clears throat> remain with him, receive his gifts, die in peace. You know, trusting in your Savior. What that looks like in particular, uh, don't know. I mean, is that 200 or is that 2,000, you know, or something? I, numbers don't, I don't have any of that. Um, I have ideas. I, of course I have ideas, but they're my ideas. Uh, let's see, where were we? Turn away, wander off. Oh, that's nice. We talked about that in church. Oh, you're starting to get antsy. I know what time it is. Wander off like sheep, right? All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned after our own way and then the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. So that Isaiah beautiful. As for you, Timothy, pastors always be I thought this was funny. They translate it sober minded uh, the word is literally sober <laughs> I mean I understand context I think maybe it's right that it's sober minded but maybe it is just like don't get drunk um, 
you could translate it this way, be watchful um, in all things, you know, keep watch. And I like that expression because that connects well with like Ezekiel, with the watchman who stands on the gates. Um, uh, or sheepdog, if you want to use, I mentioned the sheepdog in the sermon today. You know, they're, watch, they're the ones who are sitting there watching. The sheep are busy doing their sheep things. and it's The dog is watching for the wolf or for the hirelings. Endure suffering. Uh, yeah. He says that to the pastors. What, I don't know, what might that look like? Kakopathos. Um, endure bad, bad, bad feelings. <laughs> uh, anybody got any examples? Well, for Paul, at this time, he was in prison. So yeah, so that's one. I think so. But he's telling Timothy to endure yeah. afflictions too. Now, Paul had some kind of a thorn in his flesh, right? He endured that. Um, I think he means specifically what kind of afflictions or sufferings might you have in the ministry? Voters' meetings, exactly. Oh. <laughs> Every meeting, meeting after meeting after meeting. Is it still going? And the worst offenders are the pastors who just keep talking. Anyway, so they, they bring the affliction upon themselves. Do the work of the evangelist, so that's good. That's a great translation, actually. Do, do the gospel preaching job. You, need to remind, you had to remind him to do that. And this is interesting. Fulfill your ministry. Ooh, what do, you, what do you, okay, ministry, there's diakonia. We talked about that. The word for, for fulfilling um, is uh, playro, oh, phoreo. It's, a, it's, a, it's related to the word Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. That's tetelestai. It's related. It's in the same family, but this is a different word. To fulfill your ministry means complete is it ever complete? You're all ultimately, you're ultimately done with somebody when they die. Okay, so the, the work is never done until they die, or they, or you die first, right? So we'll see who makes it to the finish line. What? Sorry, you were saying fulfill. Um, to go back here to the yeah. first suffering, in the context of this scripture, wouldn't it be part of the suffering be the wandering of your sheep? Ah, that's true. So. Uh, this sentence would, would say, be aware, mm-hmm. so reminded, be aware, in, you know, endure the suffering, the wandering of your sheep, but you have to, but, forget the word but, yeah, okay. but you have to do and do what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Keep Christ in front of the wanderer. Right. And yeah, that's, that's what I'm getting at. I think we talked about that with the Office of the Keys, right? About binding sin, like being the last resort kind of thing, saying... Um, you know, you don't want to be forgiven, so here's the deal with that. But you're right about wandering sheep. Here's the thing about wandering sheep. Are they sheep whom Jesus has died for? Always? Yes, right? Even when they've wandered? Now, I mean, practically... Yeah, I don't know. I don't like to prioritize people who are in church versus people who aren't, but or who come regularly and who don't, or whatever. I mean, we create these categories... But, but in the reality of it, you're right. It's always preach the gospel to them. Right? Always preach the go- law and gospel, of course. Can't preach the gospel without the law. Uh, but always preach. And constantly set that before them. 
And uh, I am not of the, I'm personally not of the opinion that you ever just say, you know what, I can't get through to that person, I'm done with them, as a pastor. I don't think you're, I'm given that permission to just say, it's not worth the effort. Which means that there are some relationships that pastors have with their members that are, are things that you endure because it's either constantly biting, butting heads or the person just doesn't listen. They just never, you talk to them, you talk to them, you keep calling them, you do it. You know, like going through the roles, right? I'm looking at elders. Going through that roster, it's very challenging. Some people have moved away. You can't really be their congregation or their pastor, probably, if they've moved away. Um, but there might be people that are local, and I don't know. It's really hard to just cut them off because you, you, you don't want to lose the opportunity to keep talking to them by, by totally ticking them off. So it's a patience difficulty there. I, I agree with that. Oh, by the way, fulfilling the ministry, here's, here's the thing. Find your satisfaction in the ministry you've been given. That's what that means. So some people aren't satisfied with the ministry as Christ instituted it, just to put it simply. They want other things, you know, to, to feel satisfied. Uh, it's the reason why I do the coffee roasting, by the way, is because the ministry isn't satisfying in and of itself because everybody's a work in progress and you never seem to get anywhere with anybody. Maybe in hindsight you do, but you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of a relationship you might have with a doctor, right? The doctor's like, you just keep getting old and sick. and uh, It's not fulfilling in that kind of sense, as a sense of accomplishment. So it's good for pastors to have like a crafty thing, a thing they do with their hands where they can build and, or the, like the, the art of motorcycle maintenance, right? Something like that. Just get a bike and work on it. Um, that way you can find your fulfillment in the ministry, not in like you've accomplished grand and glorious things in an earthly sense, but simply that you've done the work that the Lord gave you to do. And be content with that alone. Say, what did I do today? Did I preach the word? Yeah. Did I forgive their sins? Yeah. Did they receive the body and blood? Yes. Is that enough? Yes. It is, actually. For that moment. And not feel like, oh, always like, could have done more. You know, or should have done more. Or didn't do the right. It'll drive you mad. Because it's a... So in fulfilling your Absolutely, yeah. And you can only do that if you're following the Lord's own institution, the, the commands that he's given, right, the things we've been talking about. Um, but to find your satisfaction in those things, you know, to rejoice over one sinner who repents, which seems like, oh, really? You're going to rejoice over one? Why don't rejoice? Let's at least go for ten. <laughs> but that's Jesus. One lost sheep is enough today out of the 99 or the 100, right, to find the one that was lost. Should should bring the pastor contentment, joy. Should bring the congregation joy to see somebody they haven't seen in a decade. I have one new member a year or something like that. Follow? Yeah, so fulfill. I mean, it's true, as to, but it's never, your job is never done. So it's not in a sense of completing. It's a sense of find your fulfillment in that, uh, the things you've been given. All right. So we didn't get very far. There was some review there, but hopefully that was helpful. Good? Questions? Answers? All right. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Let's uh, close with prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.